Hi everybody, I'm Peter Jacobson, and welcome to Jake's Takes. The 2019-2020 PGA Tour schedule, which started back in September in West Virginia, now reaches the great state of Florida, and we've seen some very interesting things going on so far. We've seen some young players like Joaquin Neiman, Sebastian Munoz, Cameron Champ win their... uh, in their first events on the PGA Tour. Uh, also, Lanto Griffin, he won the uh, the new event down in Houston as the Houston Golf Association trying to make a comeback, much like Brendan Todd did when he won twice last fall. Tiger Woods won back in, in October in Japan. But as we started the 2020 year, Justin Thomas comes out with a win at Kapalua at the Century Tournament of Champions. But how about last weekend? There were two events on the PGA Tour because we had a World Golf Championship down in Mexico, the Mexico Championship, which was won by Patrick Reed. And in Puerto Rico, at the Puerto Rico Open, a new bright young face from Norway, the first Norwegian ever to win on the PGA Tour, Victor Hovland. He had an incredible run to win that tournament. But what a what an interesting weekend, a contrast between these two winners. Patrick Reed... Say what you will about Patrick Reed, and everybody said just about everything. He's a controversial figure. He has been dogged and followed by controversies all the way back when he played in college out onto the PGA Tour, and he's a gamer. That's one thing you can say about Patrick Reed. He plays through controversy. He almost gains strength when he's criticized or questioned. We all remember what happened at Tiger's Hero World Championship last fall when players like Cameron Smith from Australia and Brooks Kepka and quite a few people criticized Patrick Reed. Remember, his ball was semi-buried in a natural sand or waste area, and his ball was in a bit of a fried egg. And what he did was he put the club behind the ball, and now you can ground your club in a waste area. You can't ground your club, obviously, in a bunker. But when he put the club down, he used the, the sole of the club to pretty much brush the sand away from behind the ball, which is not within the rules. And a lot of people took to the airwaves, they took to the to the media to call him out. And I think rightfully so. I think Patrick, looking back on it now, knew that he did something wrong and he's been trying to wiggle out of that. But no matter what, people criticize him, people put him down, people talk about him as a competitor. They talk about obviously walking the, the edge of rules, but the guy seems to just play through that type of criticism. The way he finished down in Mexico to win Bryson DeChambeau had a two-shot lead, I think, with three holes to play. And what did Patrick Reed do? He birdied 15. He hit an incredible wedge shot at 16. And then he made a bomb on 17 to have a two-shot lead. Hit a bad tee shot on 18. Didn't matter. He just uh, All he needed was bogey to win, which he did. And he's had these crazy controversies dog him his entire career. But one thing you cannot say about Patrick Reed is that he he shies away from a fight. Think back to being the Ryder Cup hero. I think it was back in 16. He and Jordan Spieth, the, uh, the two rookies on the team, they were incredible together. And then the controversy at the Ryder Cup in 2018 when he and Jordan did not play together. 
And he criticized Captain Jim Furyk, and he also criticized Jordan for avoiding that team together. And he brought a lot of that on himself, no question about it. And his comments after that loss to Europe over in France. And then the Hero World Challenge rules flap where Cameron Smith criticized him. But the one thing, again, I will say about Patrick Reed is when he is questioned and he is put up against a wall, he comes out fighting. He won his singles match at the 2000 President's Cup after he was criticized by Cameron Smith and other players for this rules infraction at the Bahamas. But the win in Mexico, that's his eighth win on the PGA Tour, which includes his Masters Championship back in 2018. So all credit to Patrick Reed. Now compare that victory with young Victor Hovland, the first Norwegian to win on the PGA Tour. He played his college golf along with PGA Tour rookie Matthew Wolf who got his first win last year at the 3M Open. They both played at Oklahoma State, and they are now being looked at as the future of the game, along with Colin Morikawa, who got his first win last year as well. Colin came out of uh, University of California. But Victor Hovland always has a smile on his face. That's what I, I love about him. I haven't met him yet. I look forward to meeting him. But he's also brutally honest in his assessment about his own game. He says he's a terrible chipper in his post-round conference yesterday he said that he chipped in at 15 for eagle and he said it was lucky he said he's a bad chipper so that's something to keep your eye on but the putty made on 18 is about a 25 footer it was windy it was rainy but there was nothing going to keep victor from that first win he's been close he does have his pga tour card he gained it through sponsor exemptions and now he is a winner on the PGA Tour. So congratulations to Victor Hovland, who looks to be an up-and-coming young stud on the PGA Tour. Joining me on this week's Jake's Takes podcast is a very good friend of mine, LPGA Tour star, Natalie Golbus. I met Natalie when she was just a teenager and quite a player, winner on the LPGA Tour, but she's a, she's a media star. She's done television She's done modeling. She actually did her own uh, swimsuit calendar years ago. And I think probably is one of the best, probably in the, my, my top five, best personality to play in a pro-am with and to have at a corporate function. She is an incredible young lady, and I'm so happy and proud to have her on this week's show. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up and making sure they show it. People ask me all the time now, when I play in an outing or a tournament or just with friends, why do I play a yellow ball? Well, it's pretty simple, really, because I can see it. I can see the ball in flight all the way from the tee down to the landing spot, whether that's the fairway or, yeah, a fairway bunker. At my age now, I lose the white ball in flight. When Srixon first started making the Z-Star yellow ball, and they put it in my locker, it was to hand out to my amateur partners in the Pro-Am. And I was thinking, I'm not going to play this ball. I'm going to play the white ball. But when they put it in play, I could see their ball. And I immediately thought, what in the heck? I could see that ball. And believe me, when you lose sight of the ball in flight, and you don't know where it lands, it kind of takes a little bit of the fun away. So what I did right then, I switched to the yellow ball. I started playing it in the Pro-Ams, and eventually I started playing it in the tournament. 
whenever you switch to a new ball, you're always worried about how that ball is going to fit in with what you do, how it affects your game. And I play it because it does everything I need it to do. I always think about proper spin, the proper trajectory, and the maneuverability of the shot. With the Strixon Z-Star yellow ball, I can curve it left to right, hit it high or low, and it has that perfect amount of spin that I need for my game. It's been about 10 years now since I put that ball in play, and I've never looked back. It's yellow for me for the rest of my career. Where are you, New York? I'm in New York. I am um, doing, there's a Nexus Club up here, which we can talk about off air. There's probably more things to discuss up there. But then I'm heading yeah. to D.C. I've been doing a lot with the U.S. government for my position on the Sports Fitness Council. Right. Trying to empower and encourage young kids and young adolescents to get more involved in sports and the benefits of physical activity and good nutrition. And it's been really fun that. As you know, the LPGA Asia Swing got canceled, so it's been a nice, a nice break to get some other things done. Yeah, I want to get into all that. But first, I want to start with you had an incredible ascent to the top of the game at such a young age. You, you grew up in, in uh, Sacramento, California. You started at the age of four, uh, and you won your first junior event at seven years old, and by ten years old, you were you were breaking par. That is that obviously you took to golf very quickly. I did. Um, for no reason in particular, both of my parents played golf, and I'm sure you probably won a junior event when you were seven years old. Didn't no. you? No. no. No, I didn't start. I didn't start till I was, oh, 10, 12. I caddied until I really learned how to play the game. And I don't know if, if kids are starting uh, older these days or younger these days, but I think uh, winning at seven years old, is uh, that's, that's impressive. Well, thank you. I my best friend played golf. My best girlfriend played golf, and my our two moms actually played golf. And I used to be part of a junior program that they were involved in. And then going on into high school, I played on the boys' team. So I didn't really have a normal start to golf or a kind of the typical golfer where they grew up at a country club and started playing AJGA events. I in Sacramento we didn't have. Um, those type of events, and we didn't even have a girls' high school team, so I played on the boys' high school team and just kind of played a lot of sports. Golf was just one of them. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I grew up uh, in Portland, Oregon. My mom and dad joined a country club, so I actually learned the game by caddying, and then I started practicing and chipping and putting and playing out on the golf course, so I had access, but that's one of the things that I think is difficult for kids today is just getting access to be able to play, we have great organizations like the First Tee Absolutely. and Youth on Course, but but and we can give all the kids clubs and balls and tees and gloves and and all the all of that. But getting them on the course is is really the challenge. It is absolutely it is, and getting the equipment. You know, golf is expensive, and like you said, First Tee programs and there's a lot of incredible girls golf programs that do give kids access. But it is it's not as easy as grabbing a soccer ball and playing on a, a baseball team. You need a lot of equipment with golf, and you do most of the time. You need to be a member of a club or public courses are more expensive. And so hopefully you and I can both be part of the 
next generation getting more kids accessibility to golf courses to the game. Yeah, it's one of the things that I've I've found here now at age sixty five, and I'll be I'll be sixty six here in a couple of weeks. Route it's 66. interesting. Yeah, Route sixty six. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that ironically is also my PGA Tour scoring average for my entire career. Did you know that? Sixty six. Uh, no. no. No, come on. If I did, I, I. <laughs> I was like, dude. I mean, that, that, uh, what is no. the what is the career low scoring record? In my dreams, oh, I I would imagine it's probably something like sixty. I don't know what would it be sixty eight or sixty nine. I'm gonna go with seventy. Really? Really? I don't know. I mean, of, maybe sixty nine. That's a good. When you think I, of Mickey sure. Wright, Mickey Wright, who won so many LPGA Tour events, and Kathy Whitworth, oh, yeah. and and Jack and Tiger and Sam Snead, they they had to dip down into the 60s, yeah, that's it? true. That's true. I was just thinking of what I've seen in my last like 20 years of looking at staff on the LPGA and PGA tour. But yeah, yes, you're right. Yeah. I'll, I'll go go with you for that one. Well, but, you um, played we'll, you you played your first LPGA tour event at 14 years old. That's again. Now, what, what were you thinking when you're standing on that first tee? Um, well, I qualified for the event. It was just an event to plan, and it was at a golf course in Sacramento. Um, I was so excited. I was just, I, I hadn't watched a lot of LPGA golf. I had been to a couple of professional events and I was got to the first tee with hundreds of people on the first tee. And you and I have talked about this a lot. I love it. I love the energy of the fans. I, I think I shot 81 and I loved every minute of it. And I couldn't wait. Actually, I had never aspired to be on tour until I played in that first, first event. And I remember telling my parents afterwards, I had a really great time. I think I like playing golf in front of all those people and around all those other <laughs> professionals. And that was really incredible. The locker room, they had all these cookies in there. Like, this is good. I like this. Well, and I've, I've, I've raised... been playing a lot of sports. And they said, I think you should just probably stick with one sport if you're really going to give golf a chance. And well, I've raised kind of eight kids and I've had four grandkids and I've worked with a lot of juniors as you have. And it's really interesting what you just said about being comfortable. A lot of kids aren't comfortable on the big stage in terms of being in front of a lot of people. Well, you clearly were comfortable in that position, and you you excelled. You you joined the tour, and you won on the LPGA Tour. You played in three Solheim Cups. Uh, did you know, I had to look this up, did you know that you're undefeated in singles competition in Solheim Cup history? Did you know that? Yes, I did know that one. I don't know a lot of my stats, but I did um, over the last couple of years. I did know that stats, and it's something I'm definitely proud of. And we also had the Lexus Cup, which was Asia versus the world, and I never lost in singles in that one either. I played my best golf in team events. If I would have been able to take the golf I played in team events, the World Cup, Lexus Cup, Solheim Cup, and play on tour, I think I would have won a lot more. I just, I really, my game just steps up another level anytime. I played in a team event or got to represent my country and my captain. I just, I loved those events. And I, same thing like the Wendy's Street Tour and those events, when I look back at my career, those are really the events that I played my best golf in. Well, I, I think that does say a lot about you because you love to have people around you. You've always been a team player. You you played on three Solheim Cups, but I, I think you would be a, a logical choice to captain a Solheim Cup team. I know you're getting ready to retire from uh, the LPGA to a playing part uh, of your career. But I, I think there are some great things ahead for you, possibly as a captain of a Solheim Cup in the future. I would love to captain. I actually put my name in the 
in the ring to captain the junior Solheim Cup team, um, which will be in Ohio at Inverness. And I would really love to uh, to captain the juniors to start off with. But I, I would love to captain. I love golf. As you know, I love golf and I want to stay around the game and really stepping away from playing on tour and continuing the grind of playing on tour will allow me to do even more in golf. And it's something I've noticed by not playing a full schedule. But in in contrast to that, but not playing full time, it's difficult to compete out there. You need to play. There's nothing like playing, playing tournaments. And when I've only been playing 10 events a year, I haven't played well. And to play 30 events in a year, I don't think my back would hold up. I haven't been able to practice as much as I did early in my career, which is fine. But I just, I played better when I played a lot of tournaments and I haven't been able to play well just playing a limited season. So that's kind of where I'm at. You and I have both suffered through, through back problems. And I think the most difficult thing is to play well in any sport, certainly the game of golf, because you've got so many moving parts in a golf swing and your feet are stationary on the ground. All that torque and twisting, it does take its toll on your body. And, and uh, you and I, we spent some time together doing a lot of outings. We also benefited from our time with Laser Spine Institute in Tampa. They put us back together. But you're right. It's difficult when you're not playing a full schedule to compete with the talent in the world today. Yeah, absolutely it is. I'm 37 years old. The average age of an LPGA Tour runner is 21. And they're practicing six, seven hours a day. And they have, I know I have experience on my side, but our tour is really international. We travel a lot and playing a tournament is more than just playing 18, you know, playing 18 holes four, four days in a row. It's the grind of, of weather delays and getting warmed up and cooling down and warmed up and cooling down and hitting shots out of the rough. Like I could play golf if I never had to hit it off a downhill side hill eye or rough, but those playing conditions have definitely tested my, my back. But also, you know, we look at Tiger. I've, I've never seen his scan, but I'm pretty sure I would guess that his back is worse than mine. He has a fusion and he's playing incredible golf. So that's also been really encouraging for me as I look in my last season is to, to really be able to perform at a level that is high. It, it is amazing. When I uh, have done some broadcasts, when, when Tiger's won, when he came back to win the Tour Championship at East Lake and then he won the Masters, Tiger really is a superhero. Having been through pretty much the same thing he has, you and I both can recognize that what he's done to come back and win and get back into the uh, into the mix of these kids, the Justin Thomases and Ricky Fowler and John Roms today and Rory, it really is, it's probably one of the most impressive things I've seen in terms of uh, a reset or a comeback in the game of golf. I agree. Just to come back to play is hard. You and I both know I felt good when I was just able to come back and, and compete and play 18 holes and not have a setback. But for him to be able to come back the way that he has and swing at the speed that he has and move, and I mean, he plays in a whole bunch of different conditions. I mean, he played at Torrey with long rough, and, but he just did that when he went in Japan after knee surgery six weeks. But I, I feel great. Like, my back feels great. But when I do play six, seven events in a row, I struggle. It's hard for me to play more than that in a span of a couple months. You know, it starts to starts to get into my other quality of life, which, you know, getting up in the morning, it starts bothering me, or getting on a plane, or even just getting to play golf for fun. You mentioned six or seven weeks in a row. I, I start struggling after six or seven days in a row now at the age of 66. Hey, you mentioned a moment ago about the LPGA Tour being such an international tour now, and this coronavirus is really having an impact on the LPGA Tour schedule, I believe. They've canceled three events right now uh, in Asia, which is really going to put a big hole in the uh, schedule for, for everybody this year. 
Yes, it definitely does. But I'm also really proud of the tour because they took the initiative early. They knew, especially when there was a travel issue, if you had been in those countries, you wouldn't be able to come back to the States. You'd been there in 20 days. And, you know, our commissioner, I think he really puts the players first and puts our best interest. And when, you know, he canceled those events, it was not just to protect whatever the image of the tour, but it was really to protect the players. And we still have a lot of events coming up. We're going to start off in March. We play our West Coast Swing, and then we start over. And we have a new event actually in Tampa that uh, just got announced not too long ago at Pelican golf club I think. oh that's great what what, what time did um, i miss that it's going to be in may it just got announced there so i'm excited to go back to that one but we also go back to asia for six weeks five weeks in the fall and that is a big part of our tour we could always do those events in hawaii or maybe do them actually host those events in the state because we have great partners over there You know, I've been a pretty good ball striker my whole career, and I think one of the strengths of my game has been my driving. I've been pretty good off the tee. I hit a lot of fairways. But I always know that my first drive of the day is going to be a good one in comfort, luxury, and in style because I'm going to and from the golf course in my Lexus GX460. I've been a brand ambassador of Lexus now for over 30 years, and in my opinion, it's the best vehicle on the road today. Now, I may have had a few body parts replaced over the years, but that's just in my 65-year-old body. My Lexus needs nothing but routine maintenance, and that's just the way I like it. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up, making sure they show it. They're rowdy and loud, not your usual crowd. It's a jungle in here. I really want to talk about your celebrity apprentice days back in 2009 when then Donald J. Trump, who was the uh, who's now obviously our president. Uh, I, I found I love that show. I watched every episode of that show, especially when you were on for that season. Thank you. Uh, that that had to have been a blast to do. It was a blast to do. Actually, uh, President Trump and I were playing our tour championship used to be at Mar-a-Lago on his golf course and. He said, would you consider being on Celebrity Apprentice? And I said, oh, my gosh, yeah, I would love to be on that show. It's a huge show on NBC. It's like the number one show on television. Um, but I, I don't know. that I fight a lot on that show, and I don't know if I would be able to be able to compete in that environment. I compete on the golf course. And he said, no, you have a great Rolodex, and it's more of a business-minded show, and, and um, you'll see. And it'll be great, and you can raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for your Boys and Girls Club. And I said, I'm in. If I can raise money for my Boys and Girls Club, that would be that would be it. And I got there on the very first day, so they don't tell you who's going to be on the show with you. And I walk into the room, and it's Joan Rivers, Dennis Rodman, Clint Black, Herschel Walker, Khloe Kardashian. It was wow. Andy Duke, the poker player. And I thought, oh, my gosh, where's the door? I, I just was so afraid to be around those big, big personalities, especially on television. But the format of the show was... It was amazing. I loved being part of the show. We would create these, whether it was a, a digital marketing campaign for Zappos or 
we would have 24 hours to raise a couple hundred thousand dollars by selling Vera Wang wedding dresses on the streets of New York. And it was real. There was nothing, there was nothing made up about that. They would literally give us 48 hours to try to sell and give us 25 wedding dresses and send us out into New York and try to get your friends and family to raise um, money for your charity. And if you won it, it was your charity. And that show raised millions of dollars for charity. It shot in two weeks and then it aired um, for about three months on tour. So it was really fun to, to be on that. But what I learned about that show, watching the show, was that even though you're a big personality, not not you, anybody on that show that's a big personality, that doesn't always mean they're a big thinker. And what I loved about the show was to see actual people, or I should say people with actual talent, to where they might be great singers or great actors or great golfers, but they could actually think on their feet quickly come up with a marketing plan, come up with an implementation plan, and be able to go to go uh, accomplish the task. So to me, that's what I love so much about The Apprentice. Yeah, me too, me too. And those people weren't anything like how I thought they were going to be. Joan Rivers was amazing. She was business savvy. Chloe was incredible. She was so passionate about her charity and hearing about her business mind and what they were doing in, in their world. And, you know, we see some of these celebrities or athletes on TV, and then you get to meet them, and they're nothing not nothing like but they just they're so much more diverse than what you just see them when they're playing that particular role or whatever it is that their their niche talent is so uh, before i let you go i have just a couple other questions uh you announced that you're retiring from the lpj tour the competition this year uh, after this season let me ask you about the distance debate in golf right now uh it's raging the golf ball goes too far everybody says the golf the technology basically has changed the game if you if i could make you commissioner for a day or you're you're the czar of golf what would you do with this uh with the golf ball or the or the distance concern right now in the game well if i was maybe the commissioner or the head of the usga or somebody had regulation for golf i would do a one ball rule I would regulate the golf ball, um, go back to whether it's a, a tour volata or something that takes the golf ball back because I think that golf is one of the only sports that has all these different types of balls. I mean, tennis has one ball, basketball, soccer, baseball, football, but we have all these different balls and it would be very easy to, to regulate and say, that, okay, this is what the, we're going to do as far as the golf ball. And I think it is important that we do something because these poor golf courses that have so much tradition and that we all love are just becoming extinct and technology now is is able to get players to hit it so far that they can and yeah I, would, you know, I, I, the driver needs to be too but they hit their three wood far they hit everything far but a golf yeah. ball would be a really quick easy thing to implement that would bring everybody everybody back and i i think i think the big concern right now is that as you just said golf courses like pebble beach and tory pines and augusta they're they're becoming pitch and putt for these guys look at the week this uh they're playing this week down in mexico and i played i played the mexican open there years ago they're driving greens with three woods par fours are knocking it on the green i think the step for me would be that the pga tour and the lpga tour come up with one ball that that you play oh really you think that have we talked about this before the ball thing i've never heard anybody else i like this if you ball too yeah i i do too i i think that 
that that if the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour and the European Tour, if they came up with a ball that each player had to use in competition, that leaves these manufacturers uh, the opportunity to sell it to the, to sell their golf balls to the general public. Now, you and I both know that whatever the golf ball is is played on tour or the LPGA Tour. Everybody wants to play that ball, but if it is a shorter distance ball or it's more of a controlled distance ball, um, I'm not sure the average player would want to use that. But I just, I agree with you. I think that right now things are getting a little bit out of control. When you watch when you watch the WGC Mexico Championship this weekend or this past weekend, when Rory gets up on the first tee, which is a short par four, and he whips the three wood right on the green, something's got to change. I, I agree. And it, it just would be a simpler change. Yes, they could work on implementing it into the woods, um, but I just think the ball would be very, very easy. And but you can't narrow the golf course enough and you can't change the golf course enough. Um, and we really don't need to make golf courses bigger. I mean, our, my first the event that I played a couple weeks ago, our event was 6,800 yards. It's the longest event I've ever played in our major. Really long. Like play on our tour, we're seeing it too. We see it on the Champions Tour also. I, I know I'm not as long as I used to be. And I played in the Jump Classic down here in Naples a couple of weeks ago. But man, oh man, I'm hitting these shots. I'm hitting, uh, I'm hitting good drives and hitting a lot of four, fives, and six that's, irons, which, which I, I like. like. I, hear, I like yeah, that. You like it when everybody else is hitting a five and four iron, not when someone else is hitting a nine iron. <laughs> right. I can't compete with that. Well, listen, I, Natalie, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for your time. Thank and you for having me on, and I hope I get to see you somewhere very soon when we get I to do an event so together too. again. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours?